Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League, powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. All right, welcome back to another episode of Upon Further Review. It's your host, Angelo Ricci here. We're going to do an episode by myself again today. Steph's back at school. We're going to be operating on that bi-weekly schedule, but we're going to get right into it today, talking about two players who are having unbelievable years from, quite surprisingly, the most surprising team in the league, and that is the Dallas Stars, starting off with Rupe Hintz, who signs big to stay in Dallas on an eight-year deal at $8.45 million a year. Now, for an individual who isn't a diehard hockey fan or a diehard Dallas Stars fan, bringing up the name Rupe Hints might not immediately ring any bells. And that's because I probably think he's the most underrated player in the National Hockey League. But when you look at his stats, it's pretty crazy to see how he's flown under the radar pretty much his entire career. With a projected war of 94%, an expected value of offense at 78%, an expected value of defense in the 86th percentile, and he's only 26 years old. Rupe Hintz is just entering his prime as one of the better two-way centers in the NHL, and he is ready to tear up one of the worst divisions, if not the worst division in the NHL in the Central Division. Now, one of the things we'll talk about pretty soon, too, with Jason Robertson is a pretty close similarity to Rupe Hintz in the sense that they don't play a lot of minutes. I believe Rupe Hintz's average time on ice is 18 minutes, and I checked and the average first-line center who is in the upper echelon of players, like Rupe Hintz is, usually gets between 22 and 24 minutes a night. But for some reason, Rupe Hintz doesn't play that many minutes. He averages 18.02, like I said. Therefore, it's clear that his expected value of offense in the 70th percentile isn't really representative because it doesn't adjust for the fact that he is just quite simply playing less than all of the other stars. And when you break down his stats and you control for the fact that he doesn't play as much, you start using stats like goals per 60, primary assists per 60 minutes, and that tells you the um, average number of points or goals that a player will score while he is on the ice for 60 minutes. So it controls for his ice time. And you'll see that his primary goals per 60 is in the 95th percentile, while his primary assists per 60 is in the 96th percentile. This just goes to show you that this dude is one of the better offensive players in the NHL. Now, we see this a lot with players where before they sign big, they don't play many minutes. We saw that with Sergachev too, where before he signed that 8x8, he never sniffed the first-line power play because that was always Hedman's. But if you watch the Tampa Bay Lightning play now, um, Sergachev will actually play one every two or one every three first-line power plays. And I think that has a lot of correlation with the fact that he just signed an 8x8 and now they want to utilize him more because they spent so much money on him. The point I'm trying to make here is that I believe Rupe Hintz now, after signing that 8x8, will get a lot more minutes than 18.02. And if he does, I'm pretty sure he is not going to fly under the radar pretty soon. Now, what are the reasons why I think this signing is so important for the Dallas Stars? First and foremost, because I don't think it could have happened at a better time. Rupe Hintz, according to all projections and stats, has been steadily increasing over his career. And this was the year he was poised for a breakout. Actually, he kind of broke out last year, but this year he's doing something that's pretty unprecedented for a player like himself and the career trajectory that he's had so far. Last year, through the first quarter of the year, Rupe Hintz had seven goals, five assists, and 12 points, which is not bad for a first-line center. But when you look at his quarter, um, his stats a quarter way through the year now, he is at eight goals, 18 assists, and 24 points. And he's playing beside what looks like a top five winger in the NHL for the next 10 years in Jason Robertson. He's currently on pace for 93 points, 
his war percentile rank has steadily increased while he's been on that first line centerman role for the Dallas Stars. Next year, I really think this guy would have wanted 9.45, especially with the cap going up. I think getting him at 8.45 is a steal. Usually first line centers that are great two way that are putting up over 80 to 85 points, which he's projected to clear that pretty hard, command at least 9.5 million over eight. To fa the fact that you're getting him at 8.45 before the cap has gone up means that this team, this organization is in a great chance to win pretty soon. Now, when we look at comparisons for this deal, I tried to look at players that signed for $8 million at long term, and I only tried to look at players that signed relatively recently. So Dreitzeitel at $8 million doesn't really count because he signed it at 2017. And if he were to sign today, he probably would have gotten something stupid like 13, 13 and a half. Um, guys that come to mind are Philip Forsberg, who signed at 8.5 by 8, I believe. Brady Kachuk, who signed at 8.2 by 8. Thomas Hurdle, who signed at 8.1 by 8. And I'm sorry, I'm taking Rupe Hints over all of them. The only one I'd probably say there's a bit of a comparison with, or no, sorry, not a comparison, but someone that I might take over Rupe Hints would be Brady Kachuk, just for that leadership and for that um, more bangers type aspect. But overall, Rupe Hints, I think, clears them all at the end of the day. He's a better play driver. He's a better puck distributor. Honestly, I think he's probably the most underrated player in the league. He plays in a super small market. The Stars haven't been good for a very long time, so he doesn't get much attention. But when this guy starts playing 23, 24 minutes a night, which I believe he is going to pretty soon because of the fact that they just sunk a lot of money into him over a long term, I think the NHL is going to have their eyes opened how good of a player Rupe Hintz has been. And if you don't know who he is and now you do, make sure you draft him in fantasy. Every single year, this guy is averaging between the 50th and 60th spot among all Yahoo projections. This guy is an absolute stud. Now, moving on, we're going to stay in the Central. We're going to stay with the Dallas Stars. I think you know where I'm going for this. We're going to be talking about Jason Robertson. In 24 games this year, get ready for these stats that are going to blow your mind. He has 22 goals. He is first in the NHL in scoring. 39 points, which ranks him second in the NHL. He then goes to five, for five on five points per 60 minutes. He ranks first in the NHL. For, 20, for goals per 60 minutes, he also ranks first in the NHL. And now for five on five points, he has 20. That ranks him second in the NHL. Now, I think these stats that I'm going to bring up next are so important because he shows how much of an efficient shooter Jason Robertson actually is. In shot attempts, he is currently 10th in the NHL at 171. We're just going to take a brief intermission to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, BetStamp. Picture this, a big Leaf game is on and you want to place a bet, but are overwhelmed by the abundance of sportsbooks that are offering you odds on the same game. Well, put your worries away by opening the BetStamp app, which will directly compare the lines across multiple sportsbooks to help you find the best odds possible. On BetStamp, you can verify the existence of your proposed bets and its corresponding odds in order to buy and sell picks with full transparency. Also thinking about making money selling your own picks? BetStamp is the place for you. With their commission-free marketplace, you can sell your picks on the app without paying a single cut. It's completely free. To learn more, visit betstamp.app Ontario using code UFR to get access to all of Betstamp's affiliates and their prices. The only way to get an edge in online sports betting is by using the Betstamp app alongside different sportsbooks. So download it today. We'll see you on the smart side of online sports betting. A hundred and seventy-first in the NHL. Sorry, hundred and seventy-one shots, which ranks him at tenth in the NHL. 
I could not have been more wrong about Jason Robertson. I thought after missing training camp, he would have had the William Nylander type career trajectory where it took him one or two years to get into his rhythm. And then I thought he would have probably succumbed to about three quarters of the play that he's playing now. But for him to do this while missing training camp, being a six foot three, 200 pound player at 23 years old who was not even in his prime as a Dallas Stars fan, it could not get any better than this. Now, what I said earlier on when talking about Rupe Hints is the fact that Rupe Hints didn't get that many minutes. Now, when you look at Jason Robertson, we see an exact same parallel. I don't know if it's the coaching, if it's the organizational culture that wants to spread the lines evenly, if it's the fact that the Dallas Stars have some more offensive depth on that second and third line with Mason Marchman and other types of players. But for some reason, a guy who is second in the NHL in scoring and first in the NHL in goals and in goals per 60, he is only averaging about 17 to 18 minutes a night. Imagine if a player like Jason Robertson averaged 22 to 24 minutes a night what he would be averaging it's insane he's currently on pace for 133 points this year now in the last 10 years do you know what the most points in a season has been i'll let you take a guess first and foremost i don't think anyone forgets the heart winning kucherov in 2019 put up 128 points after that we have mcdavid with 123 in 2021 mcdavid again with 116 in 2018 and then this year i believe goudreau and huberto each had 115. That means that Jason Robertson would have, if he stays on this pace as a 23-year-old player who is getting maybe 70% of the minutes that those guys would get, he would be first in the NHL in the last 10 years for the amount of, for the highest number of points in a single season. Now, imagine when Jason Robertson starts getting 22 to 24 minutes a night. Imagine when Jason Robertson enters prime. He's a 98 or a 99. He's only 23 years old. It's kind of crazy to think that he's on pace to beat guys like McDavid, like Kucherov, like Goudreau, like Huberto, like I just mentioned, when those guys were doing that in their prime. Jason Robertson is actually, now that I think about it, closer to being a rookie than he is to being his prime. Normally, when we think about prime for an NHL winger or a forward in general, we're usually thinking between, I would say, 27 to like 31, where these guys have enough experience, where they're ready to go, where they're ready to win cups. At 23 years old, he's closer to 20 than he is to 27, which means the fact that he's putting up these points for an individual who hasn't even entered his prime yet, who's locked up for another four years at $7.75 million a year, with the cap projected to go up by $10 million in the next five years, is pretty scary to see. And when we combine this with the unreal deal that Rupe Hintz just got, A bit of a spoiler alert that I'm going to be talking about next about the teams who I think are going to be most successful in the next three to five years. It's pretty clear that the Dallas Stars are going to be in that conversation. When we talk about the best wingers in the league this year, there's no question that he's a top two winger in the league. The only player I'd probably give the edge to right now is Nikita Kucherov because he's having an unbelievable year. We know when Nikita Kucherov is healthy, there is no one better in the NHL at playing right wing. But with the fact that Jason Robertson is playing the way he is. He has to be in the conversation for one of the best wingers right now and one of the best wingers into the league. Even when we take into account sustainability, he needs to be in this conversation. Jason Robertson in 152 games in the NHL. And remember, these 152 games were played during his rookie 
his sophomore and his third year, not even in his prime. I believe 152 games is a sustainable enough time, a big enough sample size to be able to accurately project a player's trajectory over the next three to five years. In these 152 games, he has 162 points and over half of them are goals. He's got 80 goals and 84 assists. Over the last three seasons, he is ninth in the league in goals. Let's take a look at who's ahead of him. Austin Matthews, Leon Dreitzeidel, Connor McDavid. I mean, I think that's pretty understandable. He's beating guys like Debrinket, like Pasternak, like Gensel, like Stamkos, who are all in their prime right now and are considered some of the best offensive players in the league. The crazy part is, is he's tied with Mikko Rantanen. He's only one point behind, Con only one goal behind Connor over the last three years. Only four goals behind Chris Kreider over the last three years, and only seven goals behind Ovi and nine behind Kaprizov. The reason why I bring up all these numbers is because Rantanen, Connor, Kreider, Ovi, and Kaprizov are considered some of the best play-driving goal scorers in the NHL, and a guy who's only 23 years old playing 75% of the minutes of them is averaging the same number of goals for them over the last three years while he's not even in his prime. It's pretty crazy to understand or to comprehend the consistency, the early success, and the increase in performance that Jason Robertson has had over such a short career. All of this shouts to me that he's projecting as a top three winger in the NHL over the next 10 years. The only guys that I can see better than him or who I would take on a team before him if I'm trying to build a cup contending team over the next three to five years or Nikita Kucherov for the points that I just mentioned. And number two, probably Matthew Kachuk just because of the defensive capabilities. But when we look at Jason Robertson's defensive capabilities, currently in the 20 to 23rd percentile on that first glance, that's not great. That speaks to someone who might be a bit of a defensive liability on the ice. But oftentimes we see this with NHL wingers where early on in their career, they're not really great defensively. And as they grow and play more minutes, they start to understand that defensive role that they need to have and they start to increase. We saw that with Matthew Kachuk. We saw that with Johnny Goudreau out of the gate in their rookie years. They weren't great defensively, but towards their prime, they're now among the upper echelon in terms of percentile wingers who can play defense at their position. So I don't think we have to worry much about Jason Robertson's defensive capabilities. But when we see how good offensively he is and how much he's flown under the radar and how close he is to these other top goal-scoring wingers and centers in the NHL, it really shouts that this guy is going to be a perennial heart candidate over the next three to five years. He's already a heart candidate right now. The only guy that I can see beating him is um, Connor McDavid. If Connor McDavid wasn't in the picture, I think a quarter of the way through the season, Jason Robertson has that award locked up. But... I kind of teased this a little bit um, early talking about Rupe Haynes and talking about Jason Robertson. I want to talk a little bit about the who I think the best or the top three teams will be in the next five years. And when I talk about top three, I don't mean teams that are in a good position moving forward because they have a lot of young prospects or, or teams that I think are going to draft well. I'm talking about teams in the next three to five years who I would put my money on as a betting man to win the most NHL Stanley Cups. Now, when we think of this, it's pretty crazy to see that all the best teams in the league right now, Boston, Tampa, Carolina, Vegas, are all getting old. Their window is closer to closing than it has opened. The NHL is going to see a radical shift pretty soon where the top teams in the league are going to change. Now, when we talk about who the best teams in the league are going to be in the next three to five years, I'm going to give an honorable mention to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the reason they're not in my top three is because there are two big ifs here. Big if number one, Matthews resigning. We've seen this team come very close every single year to winning an NHL round. They're touted as President's Trophy winning potential. They're touted as Stanley Cup winning potential. And every single year they fall short. 
Austin Matthews if he follows a similar trajectory as as other American superstars are, considering the lack of success that the Toronto Maple Leafs have had. There is a non-trivial doubt in my mind that he doesn't sign back, but we'll talk about that on another day. Um, let's not forget that the Toronto Maple Leafs have a top two player in the league, probably the best two-way center in the league next to Sasha Barkov, and a top three winger in the league in Mitchell Marner, who will be in the thick of their prime within the next three to five years. The second big if here is goaltending. Obviously, we've seen this year that the gamble that Kyle Dubas took with not re-signing Jack Campbell and with going with a goalie tandem in Samsonov and Murray has worked out relatively well. Hopefully, one of these guys, particularly Ilya Samsonov, signs long-term and you get him in the thick of his prime in three to five years. If that happens, if Matthews resigns, if Marner resigns, well, then I think this team could be a top three team. But because there's so many big ifs here, I'm leaving them out of my top three. My number three team is the Colorado Avalanche. By this time, within the next three to five years, this generational core, quite honestly, probably the best NHL team I have ever seen fielded under a cap that, by the way, has stagnated over the last three years, will be in the middle-ish of their dominant period. Right now, you have Kale McCarr signed for seven more years, undoubtedly the best defenseman in the NHL, probably going to finish as a top three defenseman of all time if he continues a sustainable trajectory which we talked about on the last episode is relatively likely considering what he's been doing over a sustainable period of the last three years. Next, you have Nathan McKinnon, who signed for eight more years, who will be in the thick towards the end of his prime in the next three to five years. You'll have Valerie Nachushkin in his prime for eight, four, eight more years, and Bowen Byron will be sticking around. Now, I think this core these four players is enough to win you a cup considering the fact that you can go out at the deadline you can find death players and you can continuously sell first round picks in order to keep making a push like they talked about last episode is what i think they should do right now with um with bo horvat but we're not going to continue talking about that the reason why they are number three in my eyes is because this core will be a little bit older and Miko Rantanen is a UFA in three years and I don't know how it's possible to resign him. Miko Rantanen probably right now is in the top five of NHL wingers. I think with the cap rising in the next three to five years, he's probably going to want 13 million at that time, which isn't a stretch because I believe that if McDavid signed again in three years, he'll probably get 15, 16, especially with the cap going up. But still, even if you don't have Miko Rantanen with that core of players, I don't know how you don't say they don't compete for two or three more cups. He is, and, and what we've also seen is that Joe Sackick has t- shown time and time again that he's one of the best GMs in the NHL at finding value. With this top four core and with the wizard in Joe Sackick in the GM's front office, I really think they're still going to be a top three team dominating over the next three to five years. Now, moving on to the number two and number one teams, the scary part about these two teams is that they're already pretty unbelievable. They're already leading their respective divisions while they have a team full of young players that weren't expected to develop this quickly, who weren't expected to pound out, pan out, pan out, excuse me. They've panned out way earlier and way better than anyone would have thought. These two teams have young players who are going to get playoff experience this year. Even if they don't win around these teams, these players are going to start understanding what playoff hockey is like. And then in the next three to five years, when they have two or three playoff rounds under their experience, maybe one of them sniffs into the second round. They're going to have the capabilities, the defensive depth, the goaltending depth, and above all, the most important thing is playoff experience to win cups in the next three to five years. I don't think these two teams are hard to guess, but my number two team is the New Jersey Devils. They have two core franchise centers in Heischer and Hughes that have shown this year to be top 30 players in the NHL. Nico Heischer is one of the better two-way centers in the league. Jack Hughes is one of the better goal scorers in the league at such, such young ages. 
And Jesper Brad has shown to be a top 10 winger in the NHL this year. In three years, there is no doubt in my mind that these three players are going to be each top 15 to top 20 players in the NHL. In three years, each of these players will be in their prime. In three years, Dougie Hamilton will be an older player, but will still be one of the top 10 defensemen in the league. Seelan Thanger will also be here to stay. He'll be in his prime as well. He's one of the better two-way defensemen in the NHL. What's crazy is that if you look at this team on paper right now, they're already good enough to compete for a cup. Last episode, we said they're probably not contenders because while they have it on paper, they're probably too young and inexperienced to win a cup right now. But in three years, when they have when they have playoff experience, this team on paper right now is good enough to win. Imagine when Palak comes back. Imagine when their insane prospect pool starts to develop in the NHL as well. You have second overall pick Simon Nemec this year. I believe the fourth overall pick in Luke Hughes a couple years ago should make this defensive core a top five core in the league. Now, if you believe my my reason or my persuasion for saying why the New Jersey Devils are top two, the next question you should probably be asking is, well, then why aren't they first? I think the only issue here is goaltending. I've said it time and time again that I think the best projection for an NHL team's ability to win a Stanley Cup is their ability to goaltend. In the last 5 to 10, even if you want to stretch it out to 15 years, we have never seen a team with a below average or even a 75th percentile or lower NHL goalie win a Stanley Cup. I believe the worst team's goalie that we saw win the Stanley Cup was the one that we just saw this year in Darcy Kemper, and he was still playing relatively well in the playoffs. The point I'm trying to make is that goaltending is so big, and the only area of their organization that the New Jersey Devils don't have locked up right now is goaltending. Right now, Vidic Vanacek is playing out of his mind. The issue is, this was the first year that he's done this. The issue is, last year, a very, very, very defensively poor Washington Capitals team didn't want to re-sign him back because they didn't trust his ability to play. Now, if Vidic Vanacek plays at 80% of the way he's playing now over the next three to five years, well then, yeah, this team would be in my number one. But just because of that volatility that, that they have in the goaltending position, is one of the reasons why I'm going to keep them out from being the number one team. Vidic Vanacek is still young. He's 26. If he develops and continues to play, then he can be a cup-winning goalie in the next three to year, three to five years. He'll be 29 to 32. I think that's a good age for his, for a goalie to say is nearing the end of their prime. And if he pans out, this team is going to be really scary because they are already leading the Metro, beating teams like the New York Rangers, like the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Carolina Hurricanes right now with this young team in three to five years. There is no doubt in my mind that this team is going to run the Metro and is going to compete for a lot of cups. Now, who's my number one team? I think the way that I started this episode, praising Rupe Hints, praising Jason Robertson, shows that there's no real surprise here. The Dallas Stars, I, be- the Dallas Stars, I believe, are going to be the best team in the NHL over the next three to five years. And there are so many reasons to support this argument. First and foremost, they legitimately have the best core in the NHL. And they have a cornerstone top five player at every position who I think will pan out in the next three to five years. And let's go through this. First of all, I think in the next three to five years, Rupe Hintz is going to be a top 10 to top 15 center in the NHL. We've already talked about this. He's great offensively. He's great defensively. When you account for the fact that he only plays 18 minutes a night and you start averaging his points over 60 minutes of play, he's in the top 95th percentile, the 96th percentile on both primary assists, goals, and defensive capabilities. That's number one. Secondly, they have a bona fide first-pairing defenseman in Miro Hisakainen who should be competing for Norris trophies throughout his entire career, if healthy. Third, 
I think we saw last year against the Calgary Flames in that playoffs that Jake Ottinger is going to be a top five goalie in the league this year. And in the next three to five years, he is going to be a top three goalie in the NHL. He's currently second in the league in save percentage. I think he's a top five in wins and he missed a lot of time this year. The point I'm trying to make is Jake Ottinger between the pipes will be one of the best players in the NHL. And I just talked about how I think the best projector of a team's success and their ability to win cups is how good their goalie is. The Dallas Stars have that locked up. Now, we just said they have a great center moving forward. We said they have a great defenseman moving forward. We said they have a great goalie moving forward. What's left? The winger position. We just praised Jason Robertson for saying that he's probably a top three winger in the NHL right now. And his current trajectory is supporting the fact that over the next three to five years, next to Nikita Kucherov and Matthew Kachuk, he might be the best winger in the league pretty soon. That's a legit top five to top 10 player in the league at every position. A player who's going to compete for a Vesna. A player who's going to compete for a Hart and a Richard. A player who's going to compete for a Norris. It's crazy that in the next three to five years, all three of these players are going to be in their prime. So if their core is so good, what's holding them back right now? Well, the fact that they have two daggering contracts in Sagan at 9.85 and Ben at 9.5, which by the way is 24% of their cap right now. Sagan's contract goes away in 2026, and I think Ben is done one year before that. So you're telling me that in three years, all four of these cornerstone pieces are going to be in their prime, locked up at low AAVs with a cap rising, and 24% of the cap is going to be freed up for the Dallas Stars to go out and get free agents? Oh, and by the way, with all that money, they are going to have a better chance to sign a free agents than any other team in the NHL, because I think Dallas is probably the best place to play in the NHL. Unreal climate, no state taxes. Players love to play there. Also, they're playing in the worst division in hockey, which I think is also going to get worse. Chicago's going to be bad for a while. The Blues are low key getting old. The Preds are old. All of this speaks to the fact that a young, defensive, unbelievable Dallas Stars team right now, in the next three to five years, will be the best team in that division, will have developed players at all four positions will have 24% of their cap freed up to go out and sign cornerstone pieces at the deadline. It's actually pretty scary to see if you're a Dallas Stars fan right now that this team is going to run the Central and is going to run the NHL in the next three to five years. And I'm sorry, there is just nothing telling me that in the next three to five years, a team will be better than the Dallas Stars. But I'm excited to see how it plays out. I have no, um, no hatred or no love for the Dallas Stars. They're never really a team that I cheered for. But... To be able to see a young team come together like this and win a few cups would be something that's really cool to see. We're just going to take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Manabo Town. Located in North York, Ontario, Manabo Town is ready to support you with all of your pregame luxury wear. Ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties, Manabo Town is here to elevate your game to the next level. Visit Manabout Town today or find them on Instagram at manabouttown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. We're going to shift away here talking about teams right now, and we're going to move more so towards player milestones. It's pretty cool that in the last week, there were actually a lot of milestones that were hit, and we're going to talk about each one of them in piecemeal and a few stories that come about each of them. So first and foremost, Steven Stamkos, my guy, hits 1,000 points in 946 games. Now, when you hit 1,000 points, that puts you in a different upper, maybe the highest echelon 
of NHL careers over your generation and quite possibly in the history of NHL. Now, to go with this, he is a two-time Stanley Cup champion, a two-time Rocket Richard winner, the last 60-goal scorer since Austin Matthews did it last year, and he would have won the heart in 2012, but that unfortunately was the year when Malkin put up 50 goals and 109 points, and I think Stamkos got every single second-place vote that year for the heart. Now, the question is, is with this career, is Steven Stamkos a top five centerman of his generation? Now, when we're talking about his generation, I believe he was drafted in 08 or 09. So I'm talking about between the early 2010s to like the mid 2010s, like 2015 to 2016. So I'm going to leave players like Connor McDavid out. Now, I don't really think this is a question. First and foremost, the only objectively better center than Stephen Stamkos over his career was Sidney Crosby, probably the best two-way player we'll ever see. Just an unbelievable generational type player, the best player of our generation, undoubtedly. Now, in this time, we also have guys like Malkin and Bergeron who are there. And I'm sorry, Stamkos isn't objectively worse or objectively better than Evgeny Malkin or Patrice Bergeron. We know the defensive capabilities that Patrice Bergeron brings and the fact that he accompanies that with 70 to 75 points every year. But when we're talking about what the hardest thing to do in the NHL is, I think it's pretty unanimous among all NHL writers and all NHL analysts that it's scoring goals. And over his prime, I don't think anybody better, barring Alexander Ovechkin, was better at scoring goals in his prime than Steven Stamkos. I think Jonathan Taves, excuse me, is in that conversation too. I think now because Jonathan Taves has fallen off a cliff, a lot of people don't remember how good of a player he was. He's a three-time cup champion. I believe he won a Selkie one year as well. And if we're going to leave Connor McDavid out there too, we know overall there's only one guy who's better than them over the 20, 2000s, 2015s, and three guys who are in the mix as well. I saw this a lot on Twitter debating as to whether Steven Stamkos is a top five center, and it's not really a question. I think he slots in that two or three spot, and I think you can flip-flop, in my opinion, Evgeny Malkin and Steven Stamkos, and I think Patrice Bergeron just falls short of either of those two. Now, other honorable mentions are guys like Tavares, guys like Claude Giroux, guys like Nicholas Backstrom. Kopitar and Getzlav, and I'm sorry, I think he has all of them beat over a period of five years, over maybe over a single season, one or two of them were better than him. Like I believe Getzlav had an insane year in like 2012 or 2013, but over a five-year period in his generation, Steven Samkos has all of those guys beat. That's all I really have for Steven Samkos. It's pretty sad to see that um, Steven Samkos has been plagued by injuries throughout his entire career. I believe he missed a couple seasons with um, issues with his leg, and I think he's had a couple concussions as well. It's pretty sad to see that if Steven Samkos had the longevity to his career like Alex Ovechkin did, which unfortunately he didn't, he would probably be one of the top five players over the entire decade. Um, the only thing leaving me out of that was the fact that he missed a lot of years due to injury. The next crazy milestone that we'll talk about here is Mitchell Marner sets a franchise record 19 game point streak. Mitch Marner beats the previous franchise record of 18 games shared by Daryl Sittler and um, Eddie Olchek. The question that I immediately thought about here after seeing Mitch Marner do what he did over these past 19 games is, is Mitch Marner the most underappreciated player in the National Hockey League? Now, the reason why I bring this up is what is the first thing you think of when people say the name Mitch Marner talking about in context of the NHL? The answer is overpaid. Every single Leafs hater or a Leafs fan that is quite honestly tired of being a joke of the NHL with the fact that we lose in the first year, in the first round every single year, will say that Mitch Marner is overpaid. But if you think about it, this deal was signed before COVID. 
if the cap went up with its projected 10 million over the time if COVID didn't happen, this this contract would have been a completely different story. Even with the cap not going up, Mitch Marner was worth every single dollar over this period. 486 points in 452 games. If we look at the period between 2018 and 2023, he was over a point per game in all of them. In 2018, he averaged 90, he had 94 points in a season. Throughout the COVID years, he was on pace for 100, but fell short, obviously, because there were only like 50 something odd games. Last year, he missed 100 points by three. And this year, he is undoubtedly going to hit over 100 points. And by the way, if anyone remembers the season that Mitch Marner had last year, he missed 10 games due to injury, was on pace for about 115 points, but just fell short because he was hurt for a lot of the year. Over the last five years, Mitch Marner is seventh in the NHL in points. And in the last three years, he is third in the NHL in points. The dude is an offensive menace. He has never been a 100-point player, like I said, but because of COVID and because of injuries, if it weren't for that, he would have three or 400-point seasons by now. He's also phenomenal defensively. The dude is great at killing penalties. He's in the upper echelon of the penalty-killing stats in the NHL. And overall, he's in the 86th percentile of expected value of defense in the NHL among all forwards. NHL fans are right. He isn't worth $10.5 million. He's worth way more than that. The dude gets so much hate. I don't understand. And is this good offensively and defensively? I haven't seen a more well-rounded player that has been this underappreciated in the league. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, it's just your Leafs bias. But I'm sorry, if I just named you all of these stats and said that he played in Florida, I don't think many people would hesitate to say that he's a top three winger in the NHL. Now, the only argument I've heard detracting from the fact that Mitch Marner doesn't deserve um, all of all of this praise is the fact that, oh, he's played beside the best um, offensive center in the league behind Connor McDavid over the last three to five years. Well, if you'll forget, if you'll remember the first year that John Tavares was here when he scored 47 goals, who was his winger? That was Mitch Marner. When John Tavares was taken off Mitch Marner's line, I don't think he scored 40 for another year. Now, Mitch Marner's back on John Tavares' line and he's having one of the best seasons of his career again. When Austin Matthews played with Mitch Marner, he had 100 points, scored those 60 goals. Am I saying Mitch Marner's the reason for all of this offensive production? No. But what I'm saying is that I think the argument that Mitch Marner's production depends on the players he's playing with is actually, um, the reverse is actually true here, where the players that he's playing with are made better because Mitch Marner is one of the better two-way players in the NHL. Now, when we talk about who the best wingers in the league are, when we break down my top five, according to these stats, I'm sorry, Kucherov, Rantanen, Kaprizov, Kachuk, and then Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner's better than Pasternak. Pasternak is a better goal scorer, but in terms of play driving abilities, and in terms of the fact that Mitch Marner also scores 35 to 40 a year and is one of the better playmakers in the NHL, I have him over David Pasternak. When we think that David Pasternak is going to make 12 to 13 million this year, Mitch Marner's 10.9 doesn't look bad anymore. Is he better than Brad Marchand? I'm sorry, I think he is as well. And when we look at Jonathan Huberto, I don't think this is a question. Jonathan Huberto last year had one of the worst defensive seasons for an NHL winger out of any winger that we have seen in the last 10 to 15 years. Dom Lashizdin's model showed that from the athletic. And this year, we're seeing Jonathan Huberto come back down to earth. If Mitch Marner was healthy last year over an 82-game season, and I believe that Huberto played 80 or 81 games, Mitch Marner would have had 110 to 115 points, which is only three to five points behind what Jonathan Huberto did. So when we have a player on a similar offensive echelon that Jonathan Huberto is, and a far better defenseman, defensive forward, excuse me, I don't think it's a conversation that Mitch Marner is a better player than Jonathan Huberto. 
Um, that's all I have there. I'm just really tired of fans in the NHL and more so Leafs haters coming at Mitch Marner saying he's one of the most overpaid players in the NHL because he's making over 10 million. It doesn't really make any sense to me. For some reason, one NHL fans see a contract that has an average annual value in double digits, they automatically start thinking that a player is incredibly overpaid and is being paid way more than a guy who's making just under 10. We see this all the time where Mitch Marner is compared to Braden Point and we hear things like, oh, Braden Point is way better because he's getting paid so much less. Let's not forget that Braden Point, I believe, makes nine or nine and a half, which is only like a million dollars less than Mitch Marner. But for some reason, because that is a single digit number, NHL fans are so quick to say that it's so much less money. I'm sorry, I think every GM in the league even accounting for the fact that Braden Point plays center takes Mitch Marner over Braden Point just because of those offensive and defensive capabilities and because of the fact that he kills penalties so well. Um, that's all I have for Mitch Marner. We're going to try to keep this episode short here. The ones that I talk about, um, that sorry, excuse me, the episodes that I'm on by myself without Steph, I'm going to try to keep to 30 or 40 minutes. Um, hopefully this doesn't go over that. The last um, topic that I want to discuss is away from hockey. Um, but it's talking a little bit about what UFR has done over the past 11 months. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because we just got our Spotify wrapped. We just got all of our statistics over the past 11 months. Um, and when me, Steph, and Christian looked at these stats, um, the first thing that we had was gratitude. We wanted to spend a little time thanking everyone for all of the support and all of, all of your help in getting us to where we were. We're approaching our one-year anniversary, I think, in just over a month. So these stats that we got are just over our first 11-month trajectory. Now, you've helped us accomplish so much. We've created 2,100 minutes of new content, which is 86% higher than any other um, hockey podcast on Spotify, on Apple Music, and on Anchor. Our podcast was heard in six countries, Canada predominantly. I think United States got about 30% of our viewership, Sweden, Finland, the UK, and I believe also Germany. You guys helped our podcast to become a top 5% most shared podcast globally. And when we think about that, it's just so crazy to see that in only an 11 month period in a hockey network where hockey is one of the lower valued sports compared to other sports like basketball, like baseball, like the NFL that blow it out of the water in terms of fan viewership, in terms of revenue, in terms of TV deals, in terms of everything. You guys helped our podcast become a top five most shared podcast globally. Our podcast was the number one podcast for 37 fans. I think that's pretty cool to see that we've only been there for one year, 11 months, and for 37 of you, we're the best podcast. We're a top five podcast for 98 fans, and we're also a top 10 podcast for 136 fans. Now, the reason why I bring up all these stats is in no way to gloat about our success. It's to thank you guys, because none of this, and I mean none of this couldn't happen if you guys don't listen to our pod if you guys don't share our pod with your friends, if you guys don't comment, like, and follow on our TikTok, on our YouTube, on our Instagram, you guys were the ones that accomplished this. You guys were the ones that gifted us with this success. We're so thankful and we're so excited to see what UFR can do in the next 12 months. Um, we could not be more excited for our one year anniversary. We couldn't be more excited to um, continue producing content for you guys. And we honestly could not be more excited as well to see what you guys are going to give to us in the next ten in the next year as well. I accidentally said next ten years, but also within the next ten years if it goes that far. Um, we're having a great time. We're super thankful. I think we're going to end off the episode here, um, expressing our gratitude. Um, we're going to be back next week. 
me and Steph are also going to um, be together once again. We're going to be breaking down some more teams' trajectory. It's pretty crazy that we're already 25% of the way into the year. Um, enjoy the weather outside. It's getting a, a little bit cold. The snow's coming out. It's time for ODR. We're really excited to do that. Hockey's in the thick of it, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review Podcast. We'll see you all next week.